Oh my God. Hello everyone. And welcome back to clip the podcast, a podcast about life, New York and the real housewives that inhabit it. My name is Mark and I'm severely addicted to white cheddar popcorn and I am your host. Wow. Hello everyone. Hope everyone had an amazing weekend. I know I sure did. Um, On Saturday, I reunited with a ton of friends from college that I love and adore and miss very much. Hadn't seen them in years, so it was great to finally catch up and have some fun. Really was a marathon of day drinking that continued into the night, but um, it was really, really great. I knew about this, obviously, prior in the week leading up, and so I kind of figured Friday I would, you know, lay low, you know, not go out be productive, (laughs) maybe go on a run, meal prep, who's to say, Uh, and just, you know, fast forward hours later to me, uh, wasted in my bed at 5 a.m. eating Sour Patch Kids, Uh, but, you know, the intention was there, (laughs) but yeah, it was a really, really great weekend. Sorry for the two-week break, Um, past two weeks have been a couple of craziest of my life, those being bookended with World Pride and then 4th of July. So really, it's been kind of a two-week case study on just how dehydrated I can render my body and still function. Um, At this point, my internal organs are on strike and have signed up for the Witness Protection Program. (laughs) So hopefully, I take the next couple weeks a little bit easier, but probably won't. Anyways... Me and my Amazon Prime Mike are back and better than ever and ready to share the stories and tales and tea that we have collected. So, hope you're ready. Starting with World Pride. World Pride, what can I say? Um, An incredible display of love, support, and acceptance. Uh, It really was a testament to um, resilience and the human spirit. And I just feel so grateful and privileged to have been part of it, to have celebrated it, um, and shared it with people I love, um, and met new great people along the way. So it really was one of the best weekends of my life. Um, I have to tell you about the circuit party though I went to. (laughs) Now, for those who are not aware, circuit parties are huge components of gay culture. Um, people go all over the world for different kinds of circuit parties. I had never been to one before, but essentially it's when a company uh, will buy out a huge warehouse for a night and just shove thousands of gays in it um, and then forget to turn the AC on. Now, one thing I didn't realize before attending circuit parties is that kind of the universal dress code is to show up as naked as legally possible. Uh, So you can imagine my shock and surprise uh, when I showed up in a black mesh shirt with some cool, funky uh, blue ski pants. Um, I looked like um, an ambassador for uh, the plus-size section of Fashion Nova. Um, I was incredibly overdressed. Never before have I shown up in a mesh shirt and thought I was the most conservative one. I looked like I had just come from mass compared to everybody else. So that took a second to adapt to. Uh, what made it even more kind of cringeworthy was that the only other people that, you know, say were as dressed as I was were the actually famous people. Billy Eichner was there. Anderson Cooper was there, who was oddly wearing all evergreen, like evergreen shorts, 
an evergreen shirt, an evergreen cap to boot. Uh, didn't quite understand uh, what the inspiration for that look was, but it kind of made him more obvious than uh, discreet as he probably was attempting to do also with Anderson Cooper, of course, was Andy Cohen, uh, who was really interesting to see in person. He was sporting a facial tick that I'm going to say was peculiar. Um, I'm not really here to allege anything I don't know, but uh, last time I checked, Cranberry and Vodka's didn't make your face do that. Um, now look, he probably was just excited and overcome by the plethora of barely clothed men that surrounded him. I mean, it really was a sea of six-packs, uh, clavicle cleavage, um, and protruding Adam's apples, uh, none of which I own or, or relate to. But uh, also was wondering, is there a daycare center attached to this circuit party? Because I believe you have a kid, Mr. Cohen. Um, and it was like three in the morning. <laughs> uh, so shout out to his nanny. Um, hope she got that overtime pride a coin. Kind of a random transition, but another thing I wanted to talk about uh, was setting alarms. How many alarms do you set? I feel like there are two types of people in the world. One who set just a single alarm, and then the others who set at least 70. Um, I happen to fall very hard into the latter category, and that's to get to work. Um, if you want me on time, I need at least 100. Um, I used to date this guy, um, and when we were getting to first know each other, at one point, I think we were starting to talk about our morning routines or something, and uh, I basically found out that he only set one alarm to wake up. And it was just this really scary still moment where I was like, am I dating a sociopath? Like I felt like uh, one of those women in those cheesy murder lifetime movies that finds out about three quarters in that she's dating a murderer, despite the fact that her family and friends have been telling her since the opening credits. Um, and she's just like desperately looking for her keys and a way out of his house. Um, on top of the number of alarms, um, I take it one step further and I actually change um, the sound that comes with the alarm so as to kind of surprise uh, my sleeping self. Um, so I have kind of an array of options, but I think one that's most notable is a song that's uh, legitimately in Hindi, uh, which I'll play for you right now. I literally wake up to that daily. And the best part is that I know absolutely no Hindi, so I have no idea what it's about. For all I know, it could be like legit three minutes of devil worship, but you cannot tell me it is not catchy as hell. 
a few months ago, my cousin came to visit me and he was sleeping on the couch and we were trying to wake up early to kind of seize the day and check out sites in New York because he'd never been. And I totally forgot that that's one of my alarms. And so sure enough, that like started playing and <laughs> I was getting out of my room about to go take a shower and he literally looked at me and he goes, what the fuck are you waking up to? Now, if you are like me and you set a ton of alarms, you also know the incredible labor that is turning all the excess alarms off once you're actually awake. Um, it's very laborious tasks that takes way too much time. Um, so I'm going to leave you with a pro tip. You can actually ask Siri to turn off all the alarms. So literally now every morning begins with me waking up begrudgingly and then I'm just like, hey Siri, turn off all the alarms. And she'll go, disabling alarms. I don't know if I'm late to the party and everyone else is doing this, but when I figured that out, I cannot tell you how savvy I felt. I thought I should apply for the genius bar. Um, and I felt like I lived in like the fucking year 3000. So this episode opens up to a very dreary, rainy morning in New York City. Um, and similarly so, Bethany seems very stressed down. She's wearing all black She's entering into her car and immediately starts swearing. So already we know this is going to be a very stressful opener. Bethany informs us that she is headed to the county Supreme Court to participate in the never-ending saga that is her custody battle against her ex-husband, Jason. Now, for those who don't know, she has been in this custody battle for years. And if anything online is true, it sounds like it's really, really toxic. And look, I know, Bethany is not exactly a sugar plum fairy, but this Jason sounds like the spawn of the devil. The things that he's done to torture her that she's alleged in court, and I believe to be true, are psychotic. Give it a goog. This guy is nuts. So most recently, Jason decided to use uh, Dennis's overdose. Um, against Bethany in court, basically saying that if Dennis is overdosing, then um, most likely Bethany is doing drugs, and most likely Bryn is approximate to those drugs. Uh, therefore, he should have custody of their daughter, uh, you know, because he's a gentleman. But uh, I think in an attempt to make a commentary on that without actually saying anything um, and getting herself in legal trouble, Bethany says this weird thing to her driver on the way to court where she goes, you know, I have a contract with Beam. If I uh, act inappropriate or abuse alcohol, I can lose that contract and lose my company. And it's like, well, inappropriate behavior and alcohol abuse. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this show, but clearly this contract is not that binding. So the driver, um, excited to finally have a line on TV, replies with, I mean, I told you, Bethany, you barely have time to drink water. Um, you know, kudos to him. I see where he's going with that. But the implications are, if she doesn't have time to drink water, she probably doesn't have time to take care of a child. So you know she was just like, oh, fuck, you screwed up the line. God damn it. So the big dilemma of this scene is when they pull up to court, they notice the paparazzi are there waiting. And by paparazzi, I mean one dude with a camera who clearly doesn't want to be there because he's never heard of her. And they're like literally strategizing as to how they're going to circumvent him. First of all, I've seen more cameras at brunch. Second of all, how do you think you're going to avoid this guy when you literally have a cameraman following you? <laughs> 
So the next scene opens up with Luann meeting Jill um, at a tennis court to play a few rounds of tennis and catch up. Uh, now, I was super excited to see Jill. Of course, she's no longer a New York housewife, but she was one of the OGs. Um, however, I was a little confused as to why she was holding her uh, fluffy, furry dog. Uh, this is a tennis court. It's now shopping with Paris and Nicole. Um, I'm scared for this dog. Luann in a confessional goes, you know, it's great to see Jill. Uh, she's been dealing with the recent passing of her husband, and I've uh, been dealing with my run-in with the law. <laughs> so it's great that we have each other's backs. Uh, you know, leave it to Luann to attempt to parallel uh, the fact that she got so wasted she was arrested and then later uh, threatened a police officer she was going to kill him uh, with the death of her best friend's soulmate. <laughs> uh, nothing like a little empathy on this show. So after the two talk a little bit, they start playing tennis, and literally like 10 minutes in, the dog gets hit with the tennis ball. It's like, I'm not even an animal person, and I knew that was coming. Why would you do this to this dog? After the two finish playing and ensure that the dog doesn't need to be rushed to the ER, uh, they sit down to catch up a little bit more, um, and they start talking about Luann's alcoholism, which uh, Luann pronounces alcoholism. Um... I appreciated what they were saying. However, I couldn't help but feel distracted by the full face of makeup Jill had on. It was a harsh reminder to myself why I've never really considered wearing makeup. Um, and that's because I am a sweaty pig. And by the time I would get out of the subway, I would look like the cover of Art Pop. Um, and that's kind of what was happening to Jill. I mean, the poor girl probably had like two hours in the glam room, but that shit was holding on to dear life from the sweat that she was experiencing from tennis. Luann discusses her journey as an alcoholic and uh, mentions that one of the turning points was when her doctor said, you're not pretty when you drink. And then there's just this like zooming in of her mugshot, which I thought was hilarious. The producers just literally have no mercy with any member of this cast. Um, but then she says that was a real wake up call for her, uh, which I think is hilarious. It's, you know, not her health, uh, her kids. Uh, it's the fact that her doctor doesn't think she's attractive. Jill goes on to talk about her boyfriend who, uh, she's clearly very in love and happy with, um, I actually saw Jill and her boyfriend last weekend or two weekends ago at Bill Bouquet in the Hamptons. Um, and it's true. They are extremely in love. They hold on to each other like they are like 14 year olds at like the movie theater. Um, it's really cute. I did make eye contact with her at one point and she gave me a look like, don't you fucking dare come up to me and ask for a picture. And um, I didn't. So the next scene opens up with Tinsley and Dale walking into a beautiful restaurant for Sunday brunch. Dale sits down. She goes, is this going to be a mimosa Sunday? Dale truly is uh, the gay icon we never knew we needed. But now that we have her, we'll never let her go. Tinsley responds in kind of this judgy way like, well, you can have a mimosa, mom. And then proceeds to order a glass of Chardonnay. It's like, mm, Tins, it's not exactly green juice. Dale orders, and she goes, Can I have a mimosa, but a little more champagne than orange juice? Uh, I think if I ever did drag, I think I would just name myself Dale and just wear fuchsia, um, have big hair, and wear a ton of jewelry. 
Dale asks Tinsley if she's excited to be the ringmaster of the Big Apple Circus, uh, which is probably a question she never thought she'd have to ask her 43-year-old daughter. But uh, Tinsley says, she, yes, she is excited, but she is very nervous, and that she wished her dad was there to see it. Dale responds, saying dad would be really, really proud, and she, he's watching up from heaven. And then they proceed to talk about Scott. Tinsley is basically saying that Scott, now that they've broken up, is starting to reach out to her again and has even made kind of claims that he's been looking for a ring. Dale seems to reject this notion, saying that if he did buy her a ring, he didn't give it to her and it's time to move on. And I completely agree. I'm over this tired narrative. Come on, let's move on, Tin. So the next scene, I think, is one of the funniest scenes to have ever happened to Real Housewives in New York, and that is the weirdest infomercial embedded into the show for The Hustle with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. It just begins with claps, and then people are filing out of a movie theater, and then you just hear Dorinda go, that was hilarious. I can't believe that Anne Hathaway. And then they start staring at this huge, well-lit, well-placed-in-the-frame poster of The Hustle with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. And Sony's just looking at it, staring at it, and goes, look at Rebel. She was so good. Like, it is the corniest thing you have ever seen. So the two leave the theater and head to lunch, and you think, okay, that was the infomercial portion. Let's get to the actual scene between these two. They sit down, and Sonia goes, wow, that movie was worth going to the theater. And Dorinda goes, very relatable. I'm like, no, this is, this is not still going on right now. So the ladies order drinks and food. And then now I'm like, okay, let's get to the actual meat of this scene. And Dorinda goes, you know, the thing I love about Anne and Rebel is that though they're different, they do get along. And I just feel like it's a lot like us. I was like, oh my God, we are not starting to parallel the cast of this movie with the cast of this show. I refuse. Sony goes, oh, you know how Anne could cry at just the drop of the hat? Yeah, that really reminded me of Tinsley and Ramona. I'm just like, I am about to shove my remote into the screen of this TV. I, I cannot do this. However, then proceeds this uh, montage of Ramona over the years just crying, but uh, there are no tears to be found, uh, which I thought was incredibly hilarious. I can watch Ramona crying for hours on end. Um, that was the only redeeming part of this scene. So finally, the ladies stop torturing us um, and they start talking about Tinsley and how they thought it was a little bit weird that one night she's crying about Scott and the next night she's completely single um, and that there might be more to it that Tinsley wants to uh, lead us to believe. Sonia goes on to say, you know, I just don't think she's in a really good place right now. And I don't think she thinks we have her back, but I think we're actually the best people in her life right now, uh, which is the most horrifying idea that has come out of this season yet. So the next scene, Ramona finally takes Barbara shopping, as she promised in the last episode. Um, in a confessional, Ramona goes, you know, I'm not going to put this off any longer. I just can't stand the way she's dressing. So starting off really sweet. Ramona tells the stylist, you know, she works in construction. Uh, her clothes are okay. And Barbara immediately goes, we need to stop the insults. And she goes, oh, I, I'm not insulting you. I said your clothes were nice. She definitely did not say that. 
So Barbara starts trying on outfits. And of course, because Ramona has picked the outfits out, every time Barbara comes out, she's acting like Kim Kardashian is walking out. She's like, oh my God, you look amazing. That's amazing. You have to get this. Oh my God. Um, and I will say Barb does look great. I think she looks beautiful. I also thought she looked beautiful before. I didn't mind the wrap dresses. So whatever. So the best part of this scene, though, is at one point, Barbara looks to Ramona and she goes, you know, you kind of remind me of my mother, which is a hilarious read, by the way. And she goes on to say, you know, she's very unfiltered and she can make you feel horrible, but she also has a really big heart and she's very caring. And I feel like you're similar. And then in a confessional, Ramona goes, you know, what Barbara said to me really struck a chord. It goes on to say how she needs to soften her edge and all that. As if this has never been revealed to Ramona ever. I mean, the macro narrative of Ramona's decade plus long career of Real Housewives is her just realizing over and over that she's just a fucking bitch. <laughs> so the next scene opens up with Luann rehearsing some choreography with some really energetic gay men. By choreography, I mean about three steps and a spin. Uh, in a confessional, she goes on to say that this rehearsal is for a Halloween party she's both hosting and performing at, and that this party is going to be off the charts and going to be the biggest Halloween party in New York City. Mm. <laughs> Sonia meets Luann shortly thereafter, um, and then they proceed to head to what looks like a dungeon uh, that's filled with hospital-like props that they're using uh, while wearing some kind of slutty nurse costumes as promotion for the Halloween party. Um, and a confessional Luann goes, I know there's going to be a lot of alcohol, but uh, for me it's work, and I'm a very serious professional. It's like, okay, nurse de la Seps, let's just slow this down a little bit. So we finally get to the event we've all been waiting for, the Big Apple Circus. Hosted by ringmaster Tinsley Mortimer. What could go wrong? So as Tinsley gets her makeup done, Dale naturally finds herself at the bar. She goes, excuse me, what did you just make over there? She goes, oh, to pop it like it's hot. It's tequila, popcorn syrup, and a little bit of lime. She goes, cute, I have one of those. Dale truly is the gift that keeps on giving. I need her to have an apple and make Tinsley a, a friend of, a daughter of. So Dorinda, Sonia, and Ramona all show up to the party before the circus starts and they're talking a little bit. And I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, I don't know how much time has lapsed, but it's like they have one conversation, it cuts to Tinsley, cuts back to them, and they're immediately wasted. So the ladies head into the ring because it's finally time for the circus to begin and Tinsley is super nervous. Mind you, Tinsley is now wearing a giant white bow with two round blush circles on each side of her face. She looks like an alcoholic bow peep. So it's finally time for the circus to begin and the lights go down and the spotlight goes up and there appears in the sky a floating Tinsley Mortimer as she descends down in a white round hoop. As she gets to the ground, she goes, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Tinsley Mortimer, your ringmaster, and welcome to the Big Apple Circus. That's literally all she had to do. The way she made it seem, I thought she was about to eat fire and like fly out of a cannon. All she had to do was say one sentence. Also, you know that all the kids in the audience were all like, uh, who the hell is Tinsley Mortimer? 
So the circus begins and Tinsley joins the women and they just proceed to just get absolutely thrown. Um, they are screaming, they are yelling, they are laughing. Um, at one point, Sonia just grabs someone's baby and holds it, uh, which is very precarious. Then after a little bit, actually someone from the circus approaches Sonia and pulls her up to be part of his act, which Sonia, of course, obliges and does a really amazing job. She's somersaulting, she's spitting out water, she's making everyone laugh, and the ladies are so impressed by how good Sonia is. I'm thinking, um, the Real Housewives in New York is just essentially a bunch of clowns interacting with each other. Are we really that shocked she's this good at it? So the circus finally ends and the ladies leave apart from Tinsley and Dale and Tinsley and Dale sit down and you can immediately tell that Tinsley um, is not well. She is absolutely wasted and emotional and she looks at her mom. She goes, I just feel like you're not feeling like I'm doing a good job. And Dale literally says, Tinsley, you're 43 years old. And she goes, well, yeah, it makes me feel like a freaking idiot. And it's like, well... I mean, you're the one in the bow with the blush circles, okay? I mean, the optics are not in your favor, so I'm going to have to agree. So Tinsley keeps going and going, and she's saying, I need your approval. I wasn't that good. And she's like, I'm realizing I'm more depressed than I ever thought was possible. And then at one point, she's just like, I'm just fucking miserable, and rips off her bow. This is a 43-year-old woman wasted as a circus, by the way. I mean, this is as dark as it gets. Dale kind of started more warmly and loving, but now she's getting kind of pissed. She goes, stop it now, Tins, because she understands how embarrassing this is going to read, and she's right. Tinsley, however, is completely inconsolable, and she just keeps going and going and crying and crying. Finally, Dale just gives her a hug, um, hoping to shut her up and cover her mic, um, and then says this weird thing where she's like, oh, Tins, you're my little girl. You'll always be my little girl. And that's how it ends. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a weird one. Uh, if you think you're having a rough day, Try the last five minutes of this episode. You might change your tune. But, yep, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and share. And I can't wait to talk to you guys in the next app. TTYL.